Machute Mate recognizes the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and any indigenous elders of other communities who may be listening today. We stand in solidarity in their struggle towards the colonization and land back. Buenas, mi gente. Machete mate. What's good? What's good, everybody? Um, back at it this week with a special, I suppose, current events episode. I feel like lately every episode I've premised with like, oh, there's a special edition, blah, 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 because we've sort of been all over the place. Almost like an organized all over the place. Like we're making it work and we're happy to do it. Um, oh, yeah. But before we get into it and explain why, again, a shout out to all the Compas Oficiales, all the all the homies who've shown us all during our Patreon. If you support what we do and want access to a um, our occasional Dudes Rock after recording, <laughs> after dark segment where we just talk bullshit and, you know, talk random shit. Um, well, I mean, short- you know, it's mostly, you know, it's, it's, it's us shooting the shit. Sometimes we get into some of that hot goss, you know. Exactly, exactly <laughs> right. Exactly right. Where I guess we're... A lot of times we do like sort of follow up on what we talked about in the regular episode, but like in a roundabout, not a roundabout way, but like more, 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 more casual, I guess. And like, oh, this fucking guy and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, <laughs> if you're down with that, consider showing us some solidarity on our Patreon so we can make things happen. Um, yeah, um, I'm Leroy, coming to you from unseated war injury land down in so-called Melbourne, Australia, here with the homie T. What's good, man? What's up, y'all? How's it going? Good to be here. Yeah, and we're going to be absent Austin, and that's what's sort of a special edition. It's just me and the homie T, so the elder statesman of the um, of of the of of the of the team, the wise old man of the team here. While Austin's doing his thing, and down wait, where where is he? Down some some place. Get where it was. It was it was a it was a weird place. I uh, I saw like working people doing like living their lives and like building something new. Revolutionary people coming together, actually trying to own the means of production. Fucking Venezuela. That's right. That's right. It, right. it, it just occurred to me. Anyway, shout out to the homie fucking Austin down in Venezuela and everyone in his delegation from DSA doing doing the Lord's work and actually seeing revolution in action. Um, I I, I I'm sure T you agree, but I can't. I'm I'm more than proud to you know. Austin be my comrade, your brother, my homie, whatever, doing down there and actually putting his money where his mouth is. Got a lot of people coming through saying, oh, well, if you know, you support socialism, communism, why don't you go to Cuba? Why don't you go to Venezuela? All right, let's go. <laughs> All right, he's there. <laughs> he goes, oh, well, it's, you know, you're in a hotel. Like, why don't you like go with the common people? Where the fuck do you think he is right now? Where do you think they are right now? With the common people in the communes, seeing revolution in action. Anyway, shout out to them. I'm living the dream. Um, before we get into it, um, just a quick vibe check, man. T, how are you doing, man? How, how, how are things? You know, I'll be honest, man. I'm, I'm good. Um, overall, uh, I, 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 yeah, I'm a little worried about, you know, friends and family, um, on the islands. I'm also worried about friends out in the Pacific Northwest. They're dealing yeah. with a heat wave. Um, I, uh, personal news. Um, I have become a PMC now. Um, I'm going to be, uh, Welcome. yeah, I know. I know. I'm a class traitor. I'm a class enemy. I am the devil. Um, 
for I, I so basically I've been promoted to manager at my job, um, which yeah, boo, boo, boo. Um, really, it says me. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's one of those things where like I there was no one else available at the shop. Like we're so understaffed and it's, it's, it's part of this, like, like my, my new boss, who's like a, a, a higher up manager was like complaining about the labor shortage or whatever. And it's really funny because I spoke to one of my coworkers, I guess one of my employees now fucked, I'm never going to get used to that. Um, I spoke to him and he was telling me that, yeah, I had a couple of friends put in applications here not too long ago. It's like, oh, really? Interesting. So, I, uh, you know, all this stuff about a labor shortage, man, is is a bunch of bullshit. There's something else afoot. I'm not saying, you know, people. I'm sure people have like are, you know, not applying to these shit jobs because they're shit jobs. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's if there's other shit at foot. Yeah, but it's 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 that thing with capitalism, right? It's just fabricated like precarity and scarcity of like labor and employment, like the. There's things to do. There's work to be done, but right, it's not being created in a way that actually like will benefit the people that can actually fall into those jobs and actually do them. Like you say, like you're short staff. Like, like you're like it's there's there's no way around it. You guys are short staff. You have people applying, but no one's getting hired. Like it's not like like you know what I mean. People want to work. Just that's right. And the um, thing is, it's it's not like it's not like people don't need jobs. Like people got bills to pay and shit, and it's just the conditions are so shitty. Like, I mean, we've gone, we went a year through this plague with the gut with our government not doing dick all about it. Um, and so, I mean, is it any wonder that people are just saying are just fucking fed up at this point? So, I mean, there's probably some truth to people being like, you know, fuck this, I'm gonna go elsewhere. Um, but at the same time, I think I, I think these these you know you can't trust you can't trust a manager. I'll just put man. it that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you. Um, all I gotta say is welcome to the ranks of management, man. Um, but be like me. Try to try to bring it down from the inside. We're, we're the we're the inside men. Well, um, you know, all all I'll say is that I'll, I'm going to constantly point at the sign in the back room that says you have a right to uh you know form a union. I'm just yeah. going to like anytime like I'm with my you know my my coworkers, my employees uh on site I just be like, you know, yawning all dramatic and pointing my arm out yeah. uh, at, at the fucking sign <laughs> like, "Oh, look at that sign." <laughs> that's that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Anyway, um yeah, same shit like Work's been fuck with me as well. Like a lot of things going on lately. Like mentally, I've been sort of all over the place. Like mm. I don't know if it's any like one thing. I just think like just the periodic wave of like you know I don't want to say doom, but like this existential reality. Like you, you you realize that you exist. You realize that you exist in a certain condition. You realize you exist in a certain like work environment situation, and it just sort of comes down on you and like i've i've let it get to me last couple of days um feeling a little bit better today have today off today's my day off tomorrow i took off because my son has an appointment but it's good to have like the two days off in a row um before back at it um but yeah it's same old um and like i was telling ut off thing i'm recording inside my house now because the last few episodes i was recording outside in our um little garage workout workshop thing um in your podcast chamber my, my, my podcast chamber, uh, my podcast pod, I guess. I don't know. 
Um, but it was affecting, like, we were having a lot of technical issues with the internet and stuff, and I think that might have had an effect, so I'm going to record it inside. So if you hear random toddler yells, that's why. If you hear people, whatever, that's that's why. Just ignore it. Um, again, we're a family show, so we almost invite that. So anyway. That's right. That's, that's right. right. Anyway, moving on with the show, just a couple of quick headlines, and then we'll sort of get into our main sort of stories. Um, number one headline is the homies out of Venezuela, like we mentioned. Like, they're doing the work down there. They're, they're meeting with all the right people, all the good people. They're actually out in the streets um, talking to who they need to and actually seeing. And, I mean, it, it look, it could be they could have gone down there and actually be fucking, like, you know, like Western chauvinist tourists or whatever, but that's not what's going on, like legit these motherfuckers are legit down there talking to people reflecting on it you know tweeting about it and actually thoughtfully reflecting not like oh my god i saw people doing this it's like taking it back and talking about like the energy and the atmosphere and like the sense of solidarity that that exists there and yeah you know we'll definitely uh when uh when austin gets back we'll definitely go over uh his experiences down there like he uh talked about when we uh discussed the peruvian election um so i definitely don't want to go too far into this subject uh until he gets back um but it is it's really interesting to see uh because there's a couple of people in that delegation some really great uh you know disciplined comrades some really good people uh and it's interesting to see them reflect on the differences between uh, various, uh, I guess, socialisms, plural, right? So exactly right. They're they're kind of they're kind of comparing and seeing the differences between you know okay so this you know this is a government initiative versus oh this was an initiative from the grassroots. This is how they relate to one another. This is how they conflict with one another. Um, and it's very interesting to see you know j- you know just based on things that we've heard. Um, things that we've seen um, from them, from their social media, and also, you know, just communicating with them um, about their experiences. So uh, I'm, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm sure uh, you're just as eager as I am to uh, break it down when he gets back into town. Well, I thought the person, like, you know how I am in the chat. I'm like, bro, just send me pictures. What are, what are you looking at? Whatever. Like, I'm knowing the hell <laughs> right. out of Like, he's trying to actually do work. And I'm just like, bro, like, I'm, I'm, I'm like on the edge of my seat here. But um, right. yeah, I'm excited to come back and hear, like, straight from the horse's mouth and hear the reflections like we know Austin's a thoughtful guy so he'll have some really uh, thoughtful, uh, slow down slow down thoughtful. i don't know about that <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> um anyway um again I'm, I'm happy that they're down there actually seeing you know what we talk about in action um another headline we were talking about this just before we started recording Lula's in the race down in Brazil. He's killing the polls like whoop, whoop. like again i don't want to give the machete mata kiss of death but the the polls are the polls are positive for Lula, and one thing that struck me, and I think you saw it as well, that Bolsonaro's main base is like the extreme, like evangelical Christian, you know, sort of demographic, and something like forty percent of that base are now supporting Lula. Um, I think it's actually like thirty three percent, which it's which is still massive, which is still a massive number. So Bolsonaro's presidency and his existence as a, a prominent political figure is collapsing for our eyes, inshallah. Um, and it's moving over to Lula, inshallah. And it, you know, it complicates the narrative of that uh, evangelicals in Latin America are wholly a right wing force. Mm. Um, so generally, that is, you know, that tends to hold true country by country. Um, but we are seeing that, you know, people people aren't stupid, man. They they might have like kooky ass beliefs about something or another, but you know, it's hard to argue with like 
what's happening now down there versus how they were living a few years ago. Yeah. You know, Lula represents the good times now is really what it comes down to. Yeah, but but we'll see because at the end of the day, Correa represented the good times as well in Ecuador, and we saw what happened there. But um, again, right. different types of socialisms, like we say, different set of contradictions. We like to, we like a good contradiction, so we'll see what happens. There's still still a long way to, way away. You just got to keep um at it. But if the PT is good at anything, is engaging the the masses and the mass movements and stuff. That's what PT's strength is. Um, so we'll see how this develops. And just another quick headline: Cuba developing their um their vaccine. That's what ninety eight percent effective. Whatever they already had a shipment of Venezuela. Whatever everyone's trying to sign up for it. Interesting that um what you can accomplish when there's no profit motive. Right. Interesting. Right. Interesting. Anyway, main stories today. Well, sorry, I just got a phone call. Um, <laughs> what we we'll be talking about what's going on in Peru with the election election board and what's going on with Castillo Fujimori. There was a, f- a couple of things that were kind of worrying the other day. Um, the sort of our evolving minute map bin, and I think this is a perfect example of how we get immediately dated with all the stories. Um, we'll finish off the episode by talking with about the probably one of the most odious people that no one knows about, which is a massive, oh, yeah. massive player in the region. Um, but we'll start off with what's going on in Puerto Rico with the with the privatization of the electoral board. If you know any Puerto Ricans at all or follow any Puerto Ricans, you know that even going back as far back just to Maria, how the electrical grid was pretty shit rolling blackouts. There was like, like, you know, people didn't have power for a stretch at a time, but recently that's sort of exacerbated with the full privatization of the electoral grid. Um, What am I talking about? I'm talking about a company called Luma. Luma is a consortium between a Houston and an Alberta based energy company that formed with the express purpose of taking over and managing Puerto Rico's uh, power grid. Um, there's a bit of context before, like the last couple of months and years during the Rosselló governorship, and now within the Pierluisi governorship, one of the hot button topics was all oh, we should you know is privatize the electrical board because you know efficiency and blah 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 this and that whatever. We'll we'll, we'll get to that. Um, they you know when they took over, they launched a website that failed immediately. Said it was due to traffic, and then it was some sort of cyber attack. Um, and then it was just them trying to cover their asses. They're just shit. Um, there have been regular power outages days long. Mayors have declared states of emergency, including my hometown. Um, bills yeah. have immediately doubled and tripled. PRs, on average, uh, use less energy than those in the metropole, but pay twice as much for the service. You want to talk about colonialism and the burden of colonialism? Um, there was a fire at one of the power stations in San Juan that initially, um, all the bootlickers said it had to do with to do with sabotage because again just like anywhere else in puerto rico if you protest against any government initiative or at least a right-wing government uh, uh government initiative you're a terrorist you're a communist you're this or that whatever obviously people knew what was going to come down the pipeline with the privatization of the electoral grid people came out and protest like we can't you know we're not going to have this um Utiera, which is one of the biggest labor unions in puerto rico um were out protesting because they knew jobs were going to get cut bills were going to like go through the roof um, things were going to be a lot worse. So all the right-wing bootleggers, comprador classes, whatever, labeled all these people as terrorists. So when things started to go, shit, oh, it has to be sabotage. It has to be sabotage because, you know, capitalism and, you know, this government privatization initiative is for the best, you know, efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. Anyway, there's a fire at one of these sort of stations. Um, the F- FBI got involved, um, but all the evidence pointed to, an, to it being an accident. Puerto Rico's Bureau of Energy required Luma to give ongoing formation of the investigation, but they have not done so. So the electrical board is like, all right, you want to do a self-investigation? That, that's fine. But we need you to report what's going on. Like, we want the evidence. Like, we, we believe you. 
but let, let, let's see. They haven't, they haven't done it because they know it's fucking, fucking negligence. It's a perfect example of how in the dark, you know, no pun not intended, um, how, how, uh, in the dark, this whole process has been from the jump, right? So the, the fact like from the beginning, you know, I I guess to go back even further, you know, this has been a, a goal of the upper classes in uh, Puerto Rico and in the United States for a very long time, which is to take control of the power grid. Um, the process has been completely untransparent, which has been a, you know, a big issue, uh, especially among uh, like the, uh, the labor unions down there have been very strongly critical of this process from the jump because no one really knows how or why they decided um, you know, who was going to get the contract in the first place. Um, so it, it's a good example of how it's been completely very much a, a uh, smoky rooms type situation. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going with my next point, that it was the nature of contract has been murky. There's no transparency. Everything was done behind closed doors. Um, they were essentially granted control of every aspect of, of the service, so essentially making them a, a monopoly of the entire of the entire thing. But um, funnily enough, if you want to say funnily enough, they've also been relieved of any um, duty to make emergency planning. So if shit goes, you know, you know, if there's another storm, there's fires or whatever, they've been relieved of any, you know, duty to be, to come up with an emergency plan. So they're wreaking all the benefits without having to deal with, you know, the, the problems, which is which is textbook neoliberal fucking capitalism, colonialism and shit. Um, they're grossly understaffed um, with something like half of the required staff on payroll that, that are required. And what they've been doing is instead of hiring like local electrical workers who've been working in the industry for years who got laid off or who um there's actually a a, a deal that a lot of the former uh, employees would be would be given like government job doing different things but instead of hiring those people into the new company to work on all the issues they're just importing like workers from like texas and the united states onto the islands and they're coming and whenever time they they come to work or they're coming to fix something they do it in the middle of the night because they know the backlash like they're sending out like armed guards to protect these people because they know how the people feel um there are regular services voltages leading to two associated fires in san 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 sebastian which is not too far from my hometown so this entire thing has been a fucking mess there's rolling blackouts if you if you follow any Puerto Ricans from Puerto Rico every day they'll say something. Oh, I just came home. There's no power, and we're, they're they're not having power for days. Yeah, I mean, if you if you got if you got friends down there or something like that, check in on them. You know, um, if you can, it's yeah. it's it it. You know what? It, it brings me to mind what's going on in uh, the Pacific Northwest with their heat waves and their crumbling. Uh, basically, that the effects it's having on their infrastructure as well, and you know. <laughs> We see with Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico is the last, you know, it's the last colony, but it's the first to meet this climate change world, you know, when it comes to the U.S. system. We saw it with the hurricanes. We've seen it with earthquakes. We've seen it with the the treatment of the people in Vieques. Um, And now with the power grid, which is unable to keep up with demand, again, even though, as you said, uh, Puerto Ricans use less energy, but pay twice as much. And it's just, right. it's a perfect, you know, if you want to know, you know, to the people in the United States listening, if you want to know the kind of world 
the kind of system that our ruling that the United States ruling class is trying to push on its on on American citizens look to the treatment of people that the United States government considers less than human right look at look at what the United States does exports around the world you'll see what its what its plans are for here in the metropole yeah 100% um, and to that point, like everywhere else, the peripheries, the, the purpose of colonies is essentially to exist as like proofing grounds for policies and yeah. stuff. So we yeah. see that with like birth control in Puerto Rico when they were sterilized women for, for decades testing this stuff. You know what I mean? Testing cancer cells or whatever. I don't want to get conspiratorial or whatever. But even 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 with this, like the complete privatization of like electrical grids, let's try it out there, see what happens. It's not failing. It's It's failing. But the thing is, like, we have to understand, like, these people are ideologically, you know, behind this. So if this thing fails in Puerto Rico, oh, it's because the the, the local natives, you know, are right. they did something. They're a bunch of terrorists, whatever. They don't know how to manage themselves. But if we do it in the United States with, you know, real, you know, civilized people, it'll work. Even though we see that happen in Texas and what's happening in fucking Texas, you know? And that was part of the, and that was the whole reason why La Junta was put in place. Yeah. Was this idea, was this idea that the people of Puerto Rico couldn't make their own decisions politically, not to say that Puerto Ricans had political representation before, even with the, you know, the criminals in San Juan. Uh, But even that was considered too much autonomy for the, the Puerto Rican people. They had to impose La Junta. Yeah. Like literally, literally the whole purpose of that was Obviously, they're in all this debt. They can't go over themselves. Whatever. We give them everything. We're going to have to impose someone or entire board to make the financial decisions for them. And you know who freaking lauded this? And like this was one of their crowning achievements? The fucking Democrats. Fucking Lin-Manuel Miranda. Everyone's fucking, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, and this is this is exactly what we're seeing. And this this privatization of, of, of the electoral grid is a is a direct result of that. Like we're seeing this. We're seeing this bullshit notion that like privatization is... You know, more efficient. Like, what's the point of efficiency if shit isn't working, right? I'm I'm sure Luma's gonna be making a lot of money because they're cutting corners. But what about the people? What about the old ladies that need the dialysis who can who now can't refrigerate their like insulin? Like, what about the people outside of San Juan and Hayuya? Like, I, I know Hayuya's close to you in the middle of the mountains, but not from the big cities. Mm-hmm. In, in Vieques, who to begin with don't have a hospital, now they have even less there. You know. Speaking to the point about Luma making more money, um, their salary, their their executives, oh, yeah. the pay has what it's gone up by what three or four times um, what it was before. Uh, it's it's again, it's just it's a fucking dealing with savages I, is hard, man. Right, I, I, you know, the word grift is thrown around so much, and honestly, at this point, it's it's too weak of a word. It's too weak of a word for what's happening right now. Yeah, it's it's robbery, man. Oh, yeah. It's fucking robbery. Yeah. They're 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 vultures picking the bones, man. And it's it breaks my fucking heart. One one thousand percent, one thousand percent. And like this is the ongoing, and this sort of plays into the all the, all the like the Bitcoin bros, all the crypto bros going. This is part of mm-hmm. that mass exodus and that ethnic cleansing of the locals. This is what's going to be forcing people to leave the island because it's going to become so unlivable for the for the people there. They're going to leave, and then everyone else is going to come in and displace everyone. Like you know what I mean? And, and we're seeing it before our eyes, right? People talking about how we don't know shit about whatever. Because oh, you know, the United States gives us the opportunity to move to the United States for a better life. Like we're not cheap. Like my family, if given the choice, would have wouldn't have left Puerto Rico. Like you know what I mean? Right? Because that's that's home. 
It's uh, it's like friend of the show Arepa Libre says uh, it's the gentrification of an entire uh, people is what it is. Yeah, one one hundred percent. Anyway, um, keep your eyes on that story because it's an evolving like just with the colonialism, like it's it's an ongoing thing, and hopefully, um, it gets I don't know if resolved is the word because there's like really no hope under the present colonial status, but the people are organizing on the islands. Um, against this everyone's almost uniformly against it it's not just cross sections of society um even more conservative like sections of society are against it because it affects everybody and you know that's a very that is a fantastic point leroy that people are are resisting are organizing against this again well at the same time you know in a grim way it's it's a sign of the future in other ways, it's also a beautiful sign of the future because you see that, you know, the potential for political organizing there. We, we, we see what can be done, what has been done. We should, you know, people around the world, especially, you know, in the United States, should be taking notes on how the, the uh, people of Puerto Rico have resisted, have fought back against, uh, you know, truly an unaccountable dictatorship. That's what La Junta is. It is an unaccountable dictatorship. Their bosses are in D.C. and on Wall Street. No, 100%. And that's basically what the existence of La Junta was. They basically got uh, uh, a, a blank check to do whatever they think is necessary for the people. Uh, also, because you know my background is in linguistics, one thing that I want to bring up as well is the linguistic discrimination that's happening as well because a lot of the yeah. call centers a lot of the helplines that do exist there's not many it's it's unreliable are mostly in english because wow. you know, puerto rico is a bilingual area but like only 20 percent of the people in puerto rico have a good enough command of the english language to be able to communicate like these things like, like my, my, my abuela like she could have basic conversations, like if she mentioned the street, oh yeah, my, my grandson, Leroy, live in Australia, like basic conversation. But if she's at home, her power goes out. She doesn't have the English to be able to communicate. All right, so I got, so when I woke up, you know, blah, 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 and they're telling her to check this, 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 she's not going to be able to effectively do it. So then she's going to have to find like a cousin, whatever, who has better English. Like, like you know, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's fucking bullshit. This is that, like, it's, it's layers and layers and layers of colonialism. You know what that immediately put me into mind of the stories you hear um, during the first uh, era of the conquests where you'd have conquistadors and, you know, their priest hand uh, assistants. They would read like a proclamation in Spanish declaring that if they don't, you know, if the such and such people hearing this do not do this, that and the other, they automatically forfeit their rights. And they would read it in Spanish to the, you know, indigenous people who are just like, um, what, huh? That the, I know it's not the same thing, but it's it's what put me. That's what immediately came to mind. No, hundred percent. It's a good example. Another good example is in the early days of immigration through Ellis Island or whatever. Even to like discriminate against the Irish, they would you'd have to have a certain level of English proficiency. Um, and it's Australia as well. So discriminate against supposedly English speaking countries. They'd make them read something in English that was so technical. Like obviously a lot of these people are poor peasants who are obviously coming here mm-hmm. for quote a better life, don't have that level of language, or obviously they're not proficient in English. So they don't deserve to be here. It's linguistic discrimination is one of those fucking odious things, you know what I mean? And I could be here all day talking about it. I've talked about like the differences between like descriptive grammar and descriptive grammar and the bullshit that goes on with that. The shit we get as Puerto Ricans for, you know, our our bad Spanish or whatever. It's all it all boils down to like racist 
settler-colonial notions. And it also goes, you know, that reminds me of the discrimination towards uh, disabled people because it immediately that brings to mind, you know, my parents and uh, sign language, you know, the kind of struggles that uh, deaf people have to go to get uh, equal access to just communication. People don't realize how difficult it is to and things become 10 times more difficult when there's a language barrier. Uh, And, you know, it's it's the difference between knowing and understanding like you can know that, but just try to put yourself in that position. Imagine you are unable to communicate with anyone around you. Imagine trying to go about your business about your day like that. Just think, you know, really think about it for a moment. 1,000%. 1,000%. Look, we can be here all day talking about this because we. I think we're hitting on things that we're really passionate about. So we're going to be, and again, <laughs> and again, we made the custom mistake of opening the show with a story about Puerto Rico. So we can be here forever. Anyway, <laughs> right. what's going on with Luma? Uh, keep an eye. Cause, and, and please accept this as an example of fucking colonialism and neoliberalism and the effects of capital in the colonies um, versus the metropole. Right. Um, so we'll keep the ball rolling here. So we'll hit up the story about Peru. So again, like I was saying, um, usually we record the show um, y'all Saturday, my Sunday, um, mm-hmm. But we had life happens. We had to push it back a few days. So now it's what Wednesday for me, Tuesday for you. Um, so my original notes, what I was going to talk about was the fact that there was a sort of soft constitutional coup, like in the works in Peru. So basically, um, as of you know the other day, the JNE, which is the which is Peru's essentially their like electoral commission, um, was refusing to declare Castillo as the winner of the election down in Peru. Um, one of the members had resigned even though he legally yep. couldn't, um, this prevented the JNE from having a quorum to make decisions. And if you're in DSA, I think you know the thing or two about meeting quorum and shit. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if, and if, and on the Peruvian law, if no president was declared by July 28th, the head of Congress would be sworn in as interim president until a new election could be convened. In this case, a man by the name of Jorge Montoya would have been that guy. Now, who is Montoya? Well, Montoya is a retired Navy admiral who was elected to office with the far-right party of businessmen. And get this, Opus Dei member, Rafael Lopez Aliaga. I I knew you'd you'd like that point. Um, He has openly called for the dissolution of the election authorities, the nullification of election results, and convening new elections. He took part the other day when there was the public manifestation from like right-wing elements. Um... He took part with other military officials. You know, they came up with a, with a whole letter denouncing, you know, Castillo yeah. and all this stuff. There was something like, there was like 50 or 60, there was a, a whole shitload of them. Um, and they were pushing and cheerleading Keiko Fujimori um, and her absurd fraud narrative. Now, uh, apparently that's all changed. And again, another example of things changing minute by minute. So I'm glad, I guess, we'll, I mean, we got lucky recording this today, not the other day. Um, that they've met the quorum and they've officially sort of got the ball rolling in recognizing Castillo. I'm not, I don't, I don't, like, I'm not sure. I don't know if you have more information that they still haven't officially declared Castillo. But what I didn't know, what I did read just before was that they've officially sort of um, pushing back against, you know, Fujimori's claims and they're rejecting her latest claims of, um, you know, voter fraud and all that stuff. So yeah, it's important to emphasize that everything's been kind of fucked from the jump. Uh, the the one gentleman was again was it's again it was against the law technically for that person to resign uh, to deny quorum. It's it you know it's a classic legislative tactic. Uh, so remember from the beginning, this has been kind of a fucked process. Uh, 
and yeah, minute by minute, last I checked was like today I checked um, that they are beginning to, you know, work through the process to certify his election. Uh, it, it appears that uh, somehow uh, so a turn has been made. Um, so we are now seeing even some members of the reactionaries, uh, reactionary press and right wingers in Peru, uh, in you know leadership, who are basically they seem to be sick of uh, Fujimori's shit. Is really what it comes down to. Um, the fact that both the OAS and the United States government have said no, there's no evidence of fraud. Uh, Fujimori's basically again was trying to pull a Trump here. Uh, she was trying to do like a stop the steal sort of thing, using that language kind of almost explicitly. Uh, the you know it's important to emphasize, and I guess it's kind of one of the purposes of our show from the very beginning when we started, you know, was that reactionaries North and South, they're the same. They're the same. You know, Fujimori, uh, Kiko is doing the, you know, is acting the same way that Trump did, uh, last year, uh, with the election. Now it looks like that there, you know, Castillo will be president. Now it's still touch and go. There's clearly elements in the military high command that are ready ready and willing to, you know, they're feeling froggy and they're ready to leap. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. That's exactly where I was going to go as well. That, and again, this isn't, we've talked about ad nauseum, like this isn't anything new for Peru specifically in Latin America generally. What we saw here with, you know, the, the, the person leaving the JNE, you know, not meeting quorum, whatever, and going through the route of the legal constitutional, you know, that route is exactly what we saw across Latin America. Like I've mentioned it, that was the whole thing with the um, the impeachment of of Dilma Rousseff in, in Brazil. This is what happened with all the impeachments in Peru. They did it through, quote, legal means, according to the Constitution, because this is our route. They didn't, you know, it wasn't the military coming through and like taking over and, you know, killing people. But like you said, there's people here who are, look, like they're prepared to do that if, 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 if need be, right? Um, but like you said, um, these people march to the tune of the OAS in the United States, and even they're like, "Look, come on, man! Like it was, it was, it was pretty legit." So they don't really have a like to stand on, because I think for them and a lot of these sort of right wing elements across like Latin America, their whole their whole sense of legitimacy is based on, you know, the approval of the North, of the OAS, of the State Department, the U.S., the CIA, and all those all those organizations, and the fact that they don't have in this situation. I don't, I don't like, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, but again, they're still, it's, they're, they're still threatened to, you know, f- you know, fuck around. You know, and it doesn't help that, um, the, you know, this, this old devil from Peru's past, Vladimiro Montesinos, uh, there were recordings that came out that, you know, one quote from these recordings. Now, background, Montesinos, um, and we, Eventually, we'll do a deep dive on, you know, Kiko's father uh, and his uh, reign in Peru. But Montesinos was very much kind of like a J. Edgar Hoover uh, in Peru. He used bribery. He used blackmail. He used assassinations, torture uh, to basically, you know, to to push their policies back in the 90s. Eventually, he you know, he's in jail right now because basically the corruption got revealed about 20 years ago. 
Now, it turns out that, and these are recordings that have come out now, apparently this dude was trying to organize, uh, he was trying to bribe politicians and officials before this election to try to get Kiko elected. It <laughs> There's a very funny quote according to, um, this was in The Guardian, I believe, uh, <laughs> if we had done the job as we had proposed, we would not be in this shitty problem. <laughs> uh, so... I don't think it helps that this man who is almost universally despised now in in Peru seems to have been part of an attempt to corrupt the process. So I'm again now I'm going to go veer into like really speculative territory. This is not uh reporting territory at all, but I, I think it's kind of convenient that you know, he's someone that they can like blame as like, oh, this is the reactionary who was trying to do corrupt stuff. It wasn't the government. The government was fine. The JNE was doing its job. You know, it's this evil bastard who's already in jail who had who was exposed twenty years ago. He's the guy who was trying to do this shit. You know, I, I it's it seems a little convenient for me now. And it's not to say like there are recordings. Like he did try to do this, um, but I'm sure. But there's a lot of moving parts, and I guarantee you, he was not the only fucking person. Yeah, I just want to you know interrupt you real quick. But what is what is what's the right wing's mo? Fucking scapegoating, like to do all right. these things when it goes to shit. Oh, actually, you know the reason it failed was because this group of people over here. Oh, this guy over here. It's that whole um. Like I think you used the word before we came on air. Um, it was just a, they need a they need a patsy. They set up everything they do with the use of patsies. That way they can blame and sort of put everything onto that person, all their sins onto that person. Right. Right, right. Um, and again, so the one of um, uh, Peru's uh, biggest media groups, uh, uh, El, El Comercio, um, they basically, there was a newspaper column that said enough is enough. That was the headline. So again, the, the press in Peru has been, ex- this whole time has just been absolutely vicious, 100% uh, reactionary, 100% conservative. But it seems like, Right-wing elements just are are sick of Kiko's shit is really what it comes down to. And uh, that's good news. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of hope there, I would say. A question for you, because we've talked about it with Brazil as well, with like sort of the collapse of Bolsonaro. How we've talked about in the past, like, is this the end of Bolsonaro? Are they, is the right-wing elements in Brazil sort of trying to go reshuffle and kind of go to an old-style right-wing? Like, in your opinion, is do you rec- do you think that's what we're gonna do? Because obviously Fujimori represented that sort of Bolsonaro wing, that Trump wing of the international right wing. This sort of in your face, sort of just ridiculous, yeah. absurdist type of right wing. Like, do you see that happening? Like them going to a more palatable reaction? The the biggest problem I see here, again, not being from there, I don't presume. Um, is the same thing that I've kind of been talking about for months now, which is the problem is the Congress. The problem is the structural issues at work here. Whether or not uh, the you know someone like a buffoonish, offend, like obnoxious right winger like Fujimori um, is is there Fujimori Kiko Fujimori is a symptom. You know she's a symptom of of this kind of corrupted system from the jump. Um, it's possible that now we're going to try to, we're, we're going to see a consolidation from the right wing, but the problem is going to be that fucking Congress, man, that fucking Congress, which is so utterly divided and, and so jealous of its powers. Um, it, it's, it's hard to say really, 
Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think that's something we've we've emphasized on the show, especially when it, in regards to Peru. It's always been the power of the Congress, like in their constitution. Like, At least lately. Yeah, yeah. It's like, and like I just said before, like every, like we know when they, when they're up to something, when it's a complete bullshit, but because it's written into their constitution, it's written into their powers, they're able to do this, you know, fuckery legally. You know what I mean? Which is why it's so important that Castillo's number one thing was to change the constitution. And like to quote Austin as well, like he has, he's admitted that some other few things Castillo has, you know, kind of wavered a little bit, has kind of changed on certain issues. But the one thing he has stayed fast on is the constitution. And that is utterly important with, especially within the context of Peru. Everything, if even if everything else stayed the same, hopefully it doesn't. If they change the constitution, that would be a true revolutionary moment. Because again, to reiterate, mm-hmm. the constitution that's in place now is the Alberto Fujimori constitution, the father of Kiko Fujimori, you know, the same guy who systematically was exter- was sterilizing indigenous women. And not to get too out in, too far in the weeds as well, like we need to also look at the claims that, that Keiko Fujimori was making in terms of like invalid votes. A lot of them had to do with the remote, largely indigenous areas because Castillo won those areas like 95% to 5%. And, you know, you know, the people in Lima, the right wing elements like, oh, that's impossible. You know, that, you know, that that's the, that's the result. How can that be? Motherfucker, like if you're running with a party, it's called like the cheetah eating hippos party. Like, you know, like... <laughs> What do you think the hippos are going to fucking vote for? You know what I mean? They're not stupid. They're very, you know, aware of what their interests are. And this is a, this is a perfect example of the systematic like erasure of like indigenous agency in Peru and across the region. So even though, you know, Kiko Fujimori wasn't systematically sterilizing indigenous women by silencing and erasing their agency as, you know, citizens of the country, it's it's connected. It's, 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 it's a, it's a married reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, again, we could be here forever as well. We'll probably keep the ball rolling, um, which is, this is, this, I mean, this next story is just absolute fucking bonkers. It's bananas. It's silly. Um, so there's this guy, Mexican guy um, named Carlos. <laughs> who is by far one of the richest people on the planet. He's the richest person in Latin America by far. Um, we're going to get into the details. I know T's excited for this one. He has a bunch of notes. He did his research for this one because this guy's just out there. He represents, his wealth represents something like 8% of Mexico's like GDP or something. Like it's, it's, it's absurd. Um, yeah, we'll get into T. I'll let you, I'll let you take it away because I know this is your little baby story of the day. Yeah, yeah, we, you know, we we like to we like to look at the sickos every once in a while. You know, we like to look at the shit, right? You know, we we like to examine the the fucked up stuff that's coming out of the region. You know, some of the stuff that people don't want to think about, right? Um, the reason, really, we we kind of thought about talking about this gentleman is because of the uh, metro overpass collapse that happened a couple months ago. It was Mexico's deadliest, um, like. Uh, accident uh, in almost half a century, Uh, killed 26 people, injured 79 others. Um, Now, the reason, you know, that happened a couple months ago, and then uh, AMLO announced that, you know, oh, Carlos Slim is willing to front some money to help in the rebuilding. 
And that got me thinking about Carlos Slim, who's not someone who, you know, comes across our, uh, I guess, our eyes too often. But like you said, Leroy, this man is, it's hard to describe his power uh, in the country and in the region, really. As you said, he is the richest man in all of Latin America. He's usually in the Forbes top 25. Uh, He was the richest man for a couple years running in the mid 2000s. Uh, not anymore. He's again, he's usually in the top 25, uh, generally, uh, he has a conglomerate, uh, Grupo Carso, uh, and he, uh, it's a diversified portfolio, uh, but it's mainly telecommunications. He dominates the, uh, uh, telecommunications in Mexico, uh, practically, uh, so one of his companies that's part of his consortium, Owns seventy two percent, you know, in two in by in twenty sixteen, which is some of the re- most recent, you know, solid data we have. Owns seventy two percent of the Mexican wireless market, yeah. as an example, right? Yeah. Um, now, it's not to say that there are other telecoms uh, in there. AT and T, for example, in the United States, has been trying to push into Mexico for years now. But Carlos Slim has such a lock uh, uh, on that market that I mean, he truly dominates it. Uh, as you said, his wealth alone. Uh, kind of give or take a percentage point represents 5% of Mexico's GDP, which sounds small, but is actually an enormous economic power. Yeah, just quickly, um, going back to his control on like telecommunications and media, whatever, that sort of makes him into sort of a um, Murdoch type character. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, exactly. And um, um, just quickly on that point, you just made about 5%. It might sound small, but... You know, I guess the conventional wisdom is that, you know, Mexico is a poor country with poor... Mexico has a massive economy. Like, they're mm-hmm. they're not a poor country. You know what I mean? So 5% represents a lot, a significant portion, you know, of the economy. So, you know, so who is Carlos Slim? Well, he, you know, he got his start in business many years ago. Um, basically, he, he came up with... Uh, in tele in telecommunications, he was tight with the PRI, um, the Institutional Revolutionary Party, which was Mexico's ruling party for decades. What was it like eighty years from um, shortly after uh, the Mexican Revolution up until uh, Vicente Fox's yeah. uh, victory? It was like from uh, the thirties, like just yeah. they were the one party in Mexico controlling everything from like the thirties on. It was ridiculous. That's right. That's right. Now, things to remember about Carlos Slim, his, you know, some fast facts about him. Um, They, yeah, he controls Latin America's biggest mobile tech telecom firm. He also has uh, interests in oil, uh, mining, uh, real estate. um, And this is fun. uh, 17% of the New York Times, he owns a decent percentage of the New York Times. So his power extends into the United States as well. His brother, uh, this is fun, his brother Julian Slim, uh, passed away a few years ago, was a member, was actually a high-ranking official in uh, the DFS. Uh, Now, the DFS uh, basically was, I mean, for lack of a better term, the DFS was, was the Mexican state's death squad. You know, there's no bones about it. If, if you can imagine, like, the worst of the Hoover-era FBI, the worst of the CIA, that was DFS. They were murderers. They were uh, they were uh, drug runners, um, and his brother was really tight with them. Slim uh, was also tight with a guy named Marcial Maciel, which if you are not uh, 
if you're not a Catholic or if you're not someone who's interested in religious stuff, Marcial Maciel was the leader of an organization called the Legionaries of Christ, which kind of, <laughs> if you think Opus Dei is bad, the Legionaries of Christ for a very long time was would make them blush. Marcial Maciel was a notorious rapist, a child molester, molested his own children. Yes, he was a priest and had a family. Um, he was protected by Pope John Paul II for many years. And Carlos Slim was a big time financial backer of the Legion of Christ. And uh, again, tight with Marcial Maciel, uh, their leader. So Slim is, Carlos Slim is all up in kinds of some nasty shit. Um, we, it's, it's hard to understate the level of his power and, and the kind of negative effects that he's had on the country. Um, for example, you know, he uh, was a potential investor in uh, the La Perota Dam in Mexico, which if it would have been completed, would have flooded 17,000 hectares of land, displacing more than 25,000 people. He, uh, there's numerous allegations of uh, toxic chemical waste uh, flowing into small villages because of him. And he's just generally just a bad, bad motherfucker. Yeah. And if I read this correctly as well, like, cause one of the things we talk about with like rich billionaires in like the, the U S is like, Oh, they, they try to hide their money through philanthropy and all this stuff, you know, they set up foundations. Like he doesn't even do that. Like he doesn't even pretend. Like, I think he, he has like a Carlos Slim foundation that sometimes he donates just because I think it's like legally required or whatever, but he's been asked like, don't you feel bad having all this money when, you know, you have literal people starving. You're in a country like Mexico with all these, you know, with all the crises. He goes, no, I actually don't care. Like his words were, I don't, basically, I don't give a shit. That's, that's who this guy is. He doesn't even pretend to be like, oh yeah, well, you know, we're going to set up this and that, whatever initiatives to, you know, help them pull themselves up by their bootstraps. It's, it's, it's none of that. It's none of that. And this started young when he was little like his dad made him like <laughs> give him an allowance he had a ledger that he had to you know jot everything this is down it's it's fuck i'm sure you have details but like apparently he still has that same ledger from his childhood and he like looks through it from time to time and still updates it like it's bizarre man yeah, direct quote, direct quote from Forbes's uh, glowing profile of him, quote, every Sunday, his father would give Carlos a five peso allowance, requiring him to record his purchases in a ledger. End quote. That's diseased, bro. That's diseased. <laughs> Can you imagine giving your kid an allowance and being like, all right, now you're going to write it into your little debt book. And now you're going to record your purchases here. That's diseased, bro. And like you said, he is he's very he's. It, I don't know whether to admire this or to be disgusted because he does not give a fuck. He he is publicly, uh, I, I don't, I want to say he's opposed to philanthropy, but he just, he doesn't see the point of it. Like someone like uh, in the United States, you have billionaires who, who make a big deal about their philanthropy, their donations, this, that, and the other. And it's like kind of part of the hypocrisy that is the fundamental value of the United States versus someone like Carlos Slim, who just doesn't give a fuck. Like he just operates with impunity. And the reason he can is because he's so fucking powerful. Yeah. He is the Rob or Baron of Mexico. He is their Rockefeller. He is, he's Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Bill Gates. He's uh, the Koch brothers. He's all of them rolled into one motherfucker down there. Yeah. A, a thousand, a thousand percent. And like, 
like you said, like, I mean, and it's that thing like, oh, like you don't have to hand it to him, but like you almost admire his honesty that like, right. like he's not, he's not coming up with these liberal bullshit goes, oh, well, you know, we're going to finance this and help you out when they're, they're heightening the, the contradiction of the situation. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't care. These people are starving. Okay. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, like this guy's a, a true cartoon villain, man. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, he, he's been pushing uh, his interests into uh, the United States as well. Um, again, with uh, investments in especially energy is, is a big thing. And again, a decent percentage of the New York Times. Uh, so if you see reports of Carlos Slim, glowing reports of Carlos Slim in uh, a certain paper, a certain newspaper, uh, maybe that's why. <laughs> Are you, are you talking about the same um, imperial yellow journalist paper of record? Uh, I, I, you know, maybe, maybe I am, maybe I am, Leroy. Maybe, maybe they, you know, I, I know I'm so wrong to kind of uh, cast aspersions upon the uh, sterling uh, reputations of the editors <laughs> and publishers of that august newspaper. You know, who we know has always been uh, had the people's back. Uh, so. I, I, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. Mea culpa, mea culpa, yeah. mea maxima culpa. Yeah. Um, look, we were joking around about this, but I think this speaks to the fact that like capitalism and, and capital accumulation is a, it's a disease that affects everywhere. Right. You have Carlos in Mexico who controls like essentially the economy of Mexico. You have all the dickheads from the United States. You have your Bezos as your gates and all those people. You have the Murdochs who are like Australian, British controlling everything. Right. Murdoch hasn't lived in Australia for like decades, but like he still controls Sky News here. He still controls a lot of the right wing media here that is becoming prevalent. And with our with the slow lurch, right rightward lurch that's going on across the world, he's gained more power. And those publications here in Australia have gained more I don't want to say prominence, but like a little bit a, a couple of more eyes. You know what I mean? And it's it's really unfortunate. And this is something that's affecting like the, the, the entire world, you know, not just the United States. And that this goes to show that sort of that split, you know, uh, I don't know if dichotomy is the right word between those who have power in the region and those who don't. And it's the same thing we see in the United States that in Latin America, you have those motherfuckers, the upper echelon crust of the people and everyone else. And even within the upper echelon, you have people even higher up into a, another like stratosphere who control everything. Like you think the politicians and stuff control like the countries or whatever. They, they still they still operate at the whim of these motherfuckers and if you're if you're tempted to think that oh maybe he you know just came about his money you know independently or whatever no he came from money as well his dad was a, an immigrant from um lebanon I, lebanese yeah 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 his father was an immigrant from lebanon um and had established a, a dry goods store uh he was a a grocer um but he built Somehow, some way, uh, his father managed to uh, basically bec to become a millionaire during the Mexican Revolution. So, if you want an understanding of how like shady and crafty these motherfuckers are, they were able to amass a. His father was able to amass a fortune during one of the most tumultuous periods in Mexican history. And again, and Carlos, you know, carried on the carried on the family business um he was able to he was able to you know he took advantage of the wealth uh of his father and i guarantee you he took advantage of his brother's position 
in uh, in the DFS uh, again, which was like I said, was essentially the uh, uh, death squad, the personal death squad of the PRI, which controlled the Mexican state. Another thing to remember is the DFS doesn't even exist anymore. They were so corrupted and so fucked up uh, that they had to be suppressed. So Carlos Slim is fucking neck deep in blood. 100%. 100%. But there's nothing new. Anyway, that's our deep dive or like our semi-deep dive into Carlos Slim and the motherfucker that controls the Mexican economy, essentially. Um, With that said, what do you reckon we put a bow on it for now? Sounds good to me, man. Sounds, Sounds good. good. Um, cool. Um, so, yep. So that's our current event episode for this week. Hopefully next time, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe Austin will be back by then. He can. We can have that conversation about his times in Venezuela. Uh, again, thanks for tuning in. If you support what we do and want access to that after dark, you know, much at the after dark, you know, special after show recordings, whatever, consider showing us all there on our Patreon. So patreon.com slash machete mate. Follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, TikTok sometimes. Follow my um my special garden dad TikTok that I made. Um you can follow me as I uh, as I as I build as I build the um the commune here in my backyard. We're counting on you, Lee. We're counting on your Leroy because we're gonna escape there. Exactly, exactly. Have, <laughs> have corn, have corn coming in the in the summer. It's cold now, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, cool. Also, quickly, just if you if you heard any echoes, like my headphones died, so like it can became like a little bit of, of a bitch to like mute whatever. So I just left it on. So if you hear T's voice <laughs> twice, it's because of that. I, just, I was just too lazy. Um, but cool. Thanks for tuning in. Follow us on all the socials. Um, consider showing your support on our Patreon. And with that said, hasta la victoria. Later, y'all.